Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. It's so good to be um, with you again. Uh, this is round two, um, and it's lovely to be on this, um, facing our future, living our rhythm. We are living in precarious times, um, and as Warwick has rightfully prayed, what's happening across the world has effects on us, even um, financially as well as everything else, but who knows what a, a, a life can turn in a penny, so it's important to keep praying. In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the um, idea of breaking personal strongholds, um, and that's really important to do that. We've been talking about how to um, demolish, how to define and detect and demolish these strongholds. This is a little house um, that's built on thoughts. You can see at the bottom line, I know I've been over and over this um, for a few weeks. Sorry, it's good to see Sam and Victoria here this morning. Bless you. They got married on Thursday. They're still together. That's wonderful. <laughs> uh, bless you guys. So um, lovely to see you here this morning. Um, but uh, our, 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 these strongholds are built in our thought patterns, built in our thought patterns out of which we actually then start to value what we think. So if we think bad of ourselves, believe it or not, we actually start to build a value system in that. And then what happens is our lifestyle sort of fits around that whole thing the devil moves in, puts a bondage in that, builds a house and moves in, as you see down the side. And we've been talking about that, how to, how to break those personally. And we break those by changing the way we think. Changing the way we think, um, Romans, tw- uh, Romans 12, 2. You know, renewing our minds, starting to think differently, not listening to the lies of the enemy, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a moment or two. Um, but uh, this morning what I want to do is I want to talk about breakthrough among us. I want to talk about what happens when breakthrough breaks out among us. We obviously need to see a personal breakthrough, but something happens when um, God breaks out in a camp and breaks out in a community. And so I want to turn to um, Deuteronomy chapter 1. The first couple of chapters of Deuteronomy are very powerful to me. They're the words that God spoke to me 30 years ago. Um, So it's always a very dear passage to me. But I'm reading verses 6 to 8. It'll be on the screen. Um, And this is what it says. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance. I bolded that because I want to talk to you about that. Break camp and advance. Um, Into the hill country of the Amorites, go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast to the land of the Canaanites and to the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I've given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abram, Isaac, and to Jacob, and to their descendants after them. And the Lord always blesses the public reading of his word, so we know that he will bless that. And we say, speak, Lord, for your sons and your daughters are listening. The opening chapter of Deuteronomy lifts a curtain on a scene in the land of Moab where the people of God are gathered before um, his servant Moses. Now, this day is memorized with pinpoint precision. 
if we were to go back to verse 3 of this little passage that I read, verses 6 to 8, if we went to verse 3, we would, it would give us the exact pinpoint precision of when this happened. He's saying, now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month of the first day of the month. That's day one of month 11 in year 40. Really important to understand that, right? Now, the stopwatch on this 40-year time frame took his first tick just as precisely as this one. We see it in Exodus 12, where God calls the children of Israel out of hundreds of years of bondage out of Egypt, and he marks the Passover that will be on the 14th day of the first month of the first year. So God's signing into their time element on the day they're set free. So this is the day they get set free. On this 14th day of the first month of the first year, they're about to leave the land of bondage, all right? Um, Now, uh, we know that the first year in the desert, um, they had a bit of a job to do. It tells us that in Numbers 10. It talks about in the second year, in the second month, in the 20th day of the month, so that's day 20 of month two in year two. So for about 14 months, they've been building the tabernacle. They've been building this place where God is going to come down and dwell with them. And so it's really important to understand that something has happened from this time, from this um, 40th year and the 11th month and the first day of the month. This time right now that we are tuned into in Deuteronomy 1, 40 harrowing years have come and gone at a snail's pace And Moses has gathered the people of God for the renewal of the covenant in Deuteronomy. Now, the skeletons of the faithless have been scattered across the desert. We've had the idolatry of gold thrown into a fire and a golden calf come out, is what Aaron um, had said. We've listened to the revelry tunes of the slurring songs um, around that campfire as they worshipped a golden calf. We've seen spies um, coming back out of Canaan, Canaan, weighted down with a paradox of fruit and fear. All of this has happened in this 40 years, and the delay has not come because the people disbelieved in God. This is not why they delayed. It's not that they disbelieved God. They had seen God split the sea. They had seen God swallow up the Egyptian army as the walls folded in on them. They had saw God shower bread down from heaven. They had saw God cause a wind to bring in quails and meat to eat. They had saw um, water spit from a rock. They had saw all this. They did not disbelieve God. What they did was they disbelieved in themselves. We are not able, is what they said. For they are stronger than us. The land through which we've gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And as it turned out, they were devoured not by their foes in the land of promise, but by their faithful faithlessness in a desert where, ironically, every dawn, God spread the ground with food. Incredible. Um, But in this 40th year, in the 11th month, something had happened. The sun rose on a bright uh, new day over Moab, and a brand new generation had stood before him. This brand new generation that we're told were ready to break camp and advance. I was caught by the slide that's going up about the young adults next to me meet once a month. 
and we have a new generation. Now, we're not told that this generation were stronger or taller or bigger or better than their predecessors, nor are we told that the giants had shrunk and shriveled and got smaller. In their human frailty, this new generation simply believed in themselves. They believed and they broke camp and they advanced. Even without the leader who had raised his staff to the Red Sea, now, they'd heard these stories, but they were too young to have seen them. Every person now in the camp outside Moses and Joshua and Caleb were under 40. That's where Psalm 90 comes in. Your three score years and 10, I've told you this many times. We talk about people reaching their three score years and 10. It was never a promise to society, never. It was God telling the story of the um, wanderings in the wilderness. And what God did, did was he reduced the age to three score years and 10 that what would happen in the next 40 years as I went round and round in this desert, a whole generation would die. Actually, the truth is our life's a vapor, James says, appears for a little while and then vanishes forever. So when we use that three score years and 10, we're not using it in context, really. All right? So this new generation had raised there. Now, fast forward thousands of years, we have the same God looking for the same thing, a sort of group of people with a bona fide faith that will swallow their fear, step out, break camp, and advance into the unknown and make the praise of God glorious. And every generation of Christ's followers is commissioned to advance their commission to work for the kingdom across the globe, not to dispossess, but to disciple so that every, from every nation and from every tribe and peoples and every language, they can cry out with a loud voice that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne uh, and to the Lamb. Now, many of the generations behind us stepped up and did this. Many did this. They challenged um, themselves. They went forth. Many of them lost their life for it. We tell stories about them. We read about them. We marvel over them. We quote them. But they're not the ones dotting the landscape now. This is our watch. And they had nothing that we don't have. We have the same Savior. We have the same commissioning. We have the same scriptures. We have the same indwelling spirit. This is our day. But, but if we really want to advance, then we're going to have to break camp to advance. Interesting, these two words. I looked them up yesterday. To break is to cause something to separate suddenly or violently. And camp represents anything that has kept you stagnated, somewhere where you live and dwell without progress. And for many of us, our last success may be the camp that you've built around yourself. Maybe the reason that you're not hearing God and, and even corporately not hearing God together is that we've built a camp. We've camped somewhere. There's a stagnation. There's somewhere where we're not progressing. There's something in our life that's holding us back. There's something that stopped us moving forward. And the more I experience life and the more I study the Bible, the more I'm convinced that blessings and breakthrough don't come by standing still, but by breaking camp and advancing and positioning oneself in order to catch. And if I were to study through the Bible, I would find people like Abram who became a father of many nations, but first he had to break camp and advance and position himself in the land of Canaan. Esther, who um, saved the Jews from being killed, she had to first break camp and advance 
into a place where she could position herself in the king's palace. On and on I could go. Peter, before he could walk on water, had to break camp and advance, climb out of the boat and position himself on the water. The woman in Mark 5 that we talked about a number of weeks ago that touched the hem of Jesus' garment, she had to break camp, she had to advance, and she had to position herself at the feet of Jesus to receive her healing. And Jesus, of course, before he could reconcile us back to God and defeat the power of death and sin and hell, he had to break camp and advance and position himself on the cross and die for our sins. All I'm trying to tell you today is that most blessings and breakthrough are caught when you're in position. That's why I think the, that's my first point, break camp and get into position, just three points. Um, that's why I think the prayer room is of vital importance. I felt God speak to me over Christmas. I told you this, that the first hundred days of this year would be something very powerful would happen. And I'm believing God for that. And I'm not just saying it because of something that I feel. I, the longer I've went into this, and we're into now the last 35 days of that hundred days, I believe something is about to happen that will change this world forever. And I believe it with all my heart. And um, I think that, that what we have to do, we have to learn how to position ourselves. It's not that you have to work for God's blessings. It's that you have to be in position for when God blesses. I say that again. You don't have to work for God's blessing. That's not how you get them. But you need to make sure you're in the right position to receive them. And that's why the 40 days of night and prayer are really, really important. There are certain blessings that you don't have to work for, like rain that comes. <laughs> Whether you work for it or not, you don't have to work for the sun that comes. But when it comes to saving money for that trip you've always wanted to go on, you've got to, you've got to change, you've got to reposition yourself. When it comes to getting out of debt, you have to reposition yourself by not eating out as much or learning more about finances. When you are trying to get over a long-term addiction, you, you can't do that until you've positioned yourself around some people that can encourage you and keep you accountable on and on I could go. You can't expect to catch a blessing or a breakthrough until you've broken camp and um, repositioned yourself. And this is why this is so important when it comes to breaking strongholds. Changing the way you think. Changing the way you think about yourself. This is what happened to these people. There was a whole generation died in the wilderness. A whole generation, probably millions of people died because they said this little phrase, we are not able. We are not able. God's great and God's mighty and we believe God and we trust God, but we are just not able. He couldn't do it through me. This is what I said last night in the closing talk of Alpha. I said that there are three things that are, will stop people receiving the Holy Spirit. There are three things that will stop people coming to faith. The first one is doubt. You begin to doubt yourself, and the enemy is the master of doubt. You're no good, and sure, you couldn't do it, and why? It's all right for them, but you're, we just begin to doubt. And then the second one's fear. We think, well, what's going to happen? How will I tell my family? How will I say this? How will I? And, and fear begins to hold us back. And the third one is inadequacy. We just feel that we aren't, we're inadequate. We're not good enough. 
And so it's important to understand that, that while we've talked about much about breaking these strongholds, that we can build a good stronghold. I've told you this. You can build a good stronghold. And so as a community, what we're doing in the prayer room around the 40 days is not just a good idea. It's not just a cool idea to get everybody involved, how much and good as that is. This is a God idea. This is an idea where we begin to build a stronghold corporately around our church where we can do anything because we are able. We are God's sons. We are God's daughters. And we are able to take the enemy on. We are able to see this community one for Jesus. We are able to see the, help, help rewrite the story of this city and see it as a community people. We are well able. That's a good stronghold. Stop building a bad stronghold and build a good one where the Holy Spirit comes in. We begin to think good about ourselves. We begin to value ourselves as God sees us. We be, our lifestyle begins to change. Our habits begin to change. And the Holy Spirit, I'm running out of breath. Our Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in and he puts a roof on that. And he builds a good bondage, if there's such a thing, which is very powerful to understand. And so our hearts, here's the thing, you see. Our hearts are designed to worship. Our hearts will bow at the altar of all kinds of things because it's designed to worship. We're created in the image of God, and God created us with our hearts to worship. So we will find something to worship. And if it's not God, it's something else, and it needs to be connected to the proper altar. Our hearts need to be connected to the proper altar to bow to, and it needs to be connected to the right source. So my second point simply is just connect to the right source. I had a, I had a years ago, I bought an, a, a, an old... Um, 19, uh, 19B, uh, 1.9 uh, Citroen BX diesel. It was a great car. It had one careful owner, not dead sure about the other four or five. But um, there was 200,000 miles on it when I bought it, and um, it, was, it was okay for about the first month, and then it sort of started to fall apart. And uh, so I, I had to follow, everywhere I went, I had to, these, these were constantly in my boot, my jump leads these things, and I jumped that car so many times, and I had a, we got these big long ones, because sometimes it wasn't always easy to get to, and so um, what, what you do when you jump start a car, if you've ever done this, what you do is you connect your, your leads to the battery, right, and then you connect the other end to a stronger source, and my old BX, it was a fun car, I had two keys, and what I used to do, when I, if I stopped at the shop, you just, I, I had a key where I could leave it running, get out and lock it and go into the shop. <laughs> and, um, and in the boot, I had a box load of supplements because, you see, a broken car needs loads of supplements. And so I had all these supplements. I took loads of water. It was a thirsty wee car. I had to fill it and put a couple of gallons of water in it every day. And I drank more oil than I did petrol. And... Um, on and on I could go. So this little box of supplements that sort of looked after the brokenness of this car. And what I had to do if it, if it didn't start, if, I, if you ever use these, what happens is you put it on, you put the, them on, and, and what can happen is it'll, it'll just go click, 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 and you think, oh, no, something will go. And then you say to the person on the car, just put a wee rev in your car there, and the person revs up, and what happens is the boost of that battery comes down through the leads into my battery, and then you go, oh, as she goes. But here's the thing, our hearts are connected. Our hearts are connected to something. We, we're, we're designed to worship, so we will always find something to connect to. And if you're not connected to the right source, then 
The wrong source will always take you away. So what some people do is because they feel inadequate, they have doubt and they have fear in their lives, they connect themselves to a relationship. The problem is they destroy the relationship because they're looking from the relationship. The heart needs a source that's stronger than it, not one that's weaker than it or one that's parallel to it. And so they actually destroy the relationship because they're trying to get what only God can give them. Do you get it? So we need to connect our hearts to the right source. Really important because, you see, if you connect to an insufficient force, uh, source, it won't save you. It will enslave you. If you connect to an insufficient source, it will begin to enslave you and not save you. And then what happens is you, your life just runs flat all the time. And it just feels like you're on this roller coaster of life. And that's why you need to become a self-feeder when it comes to the Word of God. If you're just dependent on this, if you're just dependent on this every week to fill you and boost you, I hope it does um, to a certain extent, but it's not enough. It's not enough. You need, to re, if, you need something more to recharge and rewire your whole week. And this is why we do the devotions every month. I tell you this all the time. It's not, I'm not doing it because of, of, I'm short of something to do. I'm doing it because I want people to get into the Word. And so if we, if we try to... Uh, uh, attach our jump cables to something else then like if it's alcohol or food what we're doing is we we think we can control it but the truth is we're just trying to numb something that a beer or a hamburger just won't touch and so it's important and the devil's a deceiver you see he's a deceiver from the beginning when we get introduced to him in genesis 3 that's how we get introduced to him he's trying to create doubt he's saying to eve did god really say and so what he's doing he's introducing eve to something that actually doesn't even exist up until that point of time scarcity no such thing as scarcity they were in a perfect world and here's the devil introducing um, Eve does something that doesn't even exist. Like God is shortchanging you, Eve. Like I know all of these giving you good, but he's holding back on you. And here's what he's saying. If you would just step over this threshold, <laughs> if you just step over this threshold, then you'd have as much as God has. See how he does it? It's a stronghold, you see. And so he's creating a foothold that becomes a stronghold. And this is what he does every time. If you just step over the threshold, if you just step into this, he's, he, and the greatest curse of our day, hear me in this, please, is where Satan has created an anemic view of Scripture. And, um, and people pick out little verses and they interpret it to suit their own lifestyle. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. I've lost count at how, please, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but I've lost count at how many times people quote Jesus turning water into wine to make them feel good about drinking. Now, I, 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 listen to me. If you take a beer, a glass of wine, that's up to you. There's no problem with that. Can't teach abstinence from the Bible. So, but I've no issue with that. But if you use that scripture to excuse you stumbling to bed, not knowing what end is up, then that's just sin. Yeah. Or if you allow it, you, to, to, to your weaker brother or sister is caused to stumble by it, then that is deception, a sin. You can't pick and choose. Some people think because we live under the new covenant, we, we can live any old way we like, and that's not right. And the hyper-grace movement is a little bit of a... Now, I know some people say to me, Phil, is all grace not hyper? Of course it is. But the hyper-grace movement says the old covenant doesn't apply to me. And I think that's kind of funny because Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, he actually came to fulfill the law. Jesus actually did what Moses couldn't do. He, he fulfilled the law of, the, of 
the, the, the law and the prophets. So what, what Moses and Elijah failed to do in the Old Testament, Jesus completed at the cross. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. Pretty incredible. And I'm on a bit of a detour, so better not go there. So the, the, it's a bit like we were talking, we were having a bit of fun with this last night at Alpha. It's like, a, it's like your son or daughter asking, can they go outside, which happened in our house yesterday. And um, one says no, and then they ask the other, and they say yes. Now, every dad has failed at this. Come with me on this journey, please. And uh, where your wife comes and says, what's going on here? You know, do not support me in this. Um, we've all been there. And when confronted, they say, well, dad said it was okay. Dad said it was okay. And now we all know that if mom and dad were in the same room, the story would have been different. But you see, your kids are smart enough to take it out of context. And we are smart enough to take the Bible out of context. And what I'm going to say to you is this. If we put God, the God of the Old Testament, in the same room as the Jesus of the New Testament, we'll get the exact same answer. We'll get this. We'll get a, a word that's calling us to holiness, to righteousness, to destiny, to purpose. Because they, they, they actually coincide with one another. And if you want to know how to recognize deception in your life, if you want to know how to recognize when the devil is deceiving you, here's, here's a little clue. When the end result is that you have more advantage of control. <laughs> when you actually can control the situation. So this is what happened, you see, in Exodus 32, when Moses was away for a month and a half, and Aaron and the people got under pressure, and they, they, decided, they decided, well, let's, let's take control. Let's, let's, Moses is gone, and let's take control back. Let's build a golden calf. And they, they called it Yahweh. It wasn't Yahweh. It was your way. It wasn't anything to do. This was a nonsense thing. And so what they did was they, they built this golden calf that they could push around. No more waiting on that cloud and fire thing. No more waiting on the morning bread. We can eat whatever we want now, you see, because we are in control. Be careful. Be careful when that happens. It's a bit like when we say sex outside marriage is wrong. But, you know, we're committed to one another, so we can really push it about a little bit. Or, um, I don't really want to forgive them, Phil, because what they did to me was really bad, so I don't think I can forgive them. Oh, wait. So God says he can't forgive me if I don't forgive them. Oh, that changes the thing a little bit, doesn't it? Ouch, I better forgive. You see, read what he says and do what he says. You don't have to like it all. This is the thing about it. You don't get to pick and choose your way through this Bible. While we've been given the right to the book, we didn't write the book. <laughs> We've been given the right to it, but we didn't write it. And you don't need to be afraid to question the Bible. It can handle your scrutiny. It's the best book of all time. Get into it and study it and wrestle with it, but be careful that you can handle when the text actually starts to wrestle with you. And that's what happens. And don't be deceived. Don't set aside this book to allow your heart to have all the stuff it has an appetite for. Because you see, Sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. And so something very powerful about that. And so don't be deceived. Don't be, and I, I love what the wisest man in all the earth in Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If there's one thing that the church has lost today, I think it's lost the reverential fear of God. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the smartest thing you can do. Solomon said, the smartest thing you can do 
is understand that we need to fear the God. That one day all of us are going to stand before him. And here's my last point. Decide that you're never going back. If you don't like it, say you don't like it. If you're struggling to agree with it, no problem with that at all. Just don't ever change it. Don't ever go back. Now, let, let me just, as you conclude in this last little bit, let me say this. Our hearts, if they're left unchecked, will always go down the route of self-righteous and self-presumptuous ways. That's the way we will go, all right? It will always look after its own needs. Here's a couple of verses in Peter, uh, 2 Peter 2. Let me read them in a small text, so let me read it to you slowly and, and give you a little bit of context of this. For if a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him, a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him, if they indeed have escaped the corruption of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this is, means they're saved. So I'm talking to the believers right now. So this is somebody that has escaped the corruption of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's somebody that's invited Jesus into their life. Only to be entangled and overcome by it again. Their final condition is worse than it was in the first. And everybody in here knows that. You break it the first time, it's hard. Try to break it the second time. It's hard, harder. Try to break it the third and fourth time. Man, it just gets harder and harder because the grip gets harder. He says, if it would it have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn away from the holy commandment passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Now, before we judge the dog or the sow too quickly, how many times have we returned to the things that we vowed we never would return to? I've done it, you've done it. They tell us that um, special services like the FBI, when they're, when they're laundering, when they're, when they're going after money laundering, what they do is they train them. Now, I, I, I thought that what they would do when they train people like this, they would, they would show them counterfeit money. They would teach them how to make counterfeit money and how to detect that, how to, how to smell it and feel it. No, that's not what they do. What they actually do is they surround them with real money. They handle and feel and they examine the real thing so much so that when they come across a fake, they've spent so much time around the real thing, they can see a fake a mile away. My prayer is that God will inundate us with the real thing as much as when a fake shows up, when a golden calf shows up in our midst, that we spot it right away, that God will show us the real thing, fill me with his presence and his new thing, that my heart is ruined for the mud and the vomit, and that we'd never go back. And when I got a new car, I didn't need, I'd put that box of stuff into my new car. I remember getting that new car. It was a, a, a Volkswagen Passat. In my old car, um, if anybody knows about the old BX19s, they didn't have a dual line braking system. That doesn't mean a whole lot to any of you in the room, many of you in the room. But what it meant was that the braking system worked off the suspension, and the suspension wasn't very good. And so when the suspension went a bit wonky, there was a big red light come up in the dash, and it said, Stop. The problem was you didn't know how. Because the brake just went to the floor and the handbrake worked in the front brake so it was in the front wheel so it was horrible so anyway what happened was that when I got my new car I, I transferred my box of supplements out of the boot of the old car into the new car I got into the new car to drive home and the first time I hit the brakes actually my head hit the windscreen because <laughs> I pushed the pedal like I was used to pushing it in the old car and the new car actually had got brakes and um and 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 what I'm saying is this new car, because it wasn't broken, didn't need all the supplements. 
And very soon after three or four weeks, I realized that that box was just a waste in the boot because this new car didn't need the supplements. A broken heart needs supplements. A broken heart will lead to all kinds of things. And so what I'm saying, Steve's going to come up. We're going to pray here as we close. Um, all I'm trying to say to you today is that you need to attach your heart to the right thing. And many of us in the room have attached it to all the wrong things. And if we're going to see a corporate move of God amongst us, if we're going to see as a body believers to break camp and advance and move into the things of God, then we need to connect to the right source. And that's why the prayer room is so important. That's why some of you are putting down slots in the middle of the night, climbing out of bed in the middle of the night to come down. Why? Because just at this moment in time, the way the world is, it just seems to be important to get into the presence of God. Whether that's here or whether that's at home, whatever you need to do, connect to the right source, folks. Stop connecting to the wrong things that just take you down the wrong paths and leave you feeling inadequate all the time. That's just the enemy's tool. And so what I want to do is I want us to, some of you maybe in the room are saying, I need to reaffirm the condition of my heart this morning. I've been changing his words. I've been slipping back into the mud and the vomit. I hear it. I hear it, Phil. I know, I know, I know. I've been there. So I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that as we take a new step as a church together, that we will feel God move through us. It was lovely to hear people say last night, just don't know what it is, but God, like one guy went out and got into his car and the car parker headed that way. And I don't know if he's here or he is here, so I'll not embarrass him. But uh, just the presence of God pulling you back into, that, that's God. That's God. You could, that, you, your feelings and your emotions doesn't do that stuff. God just overrides all of that when we connect to the right source. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for you this morning. Maybe just for the sake of time, if you can stand, would you stand with me? And let me just pray for you as we close in prayer. You know who you are if this is specifically for you this morning. Father, I pray this morning in this holy moment that um, right now that you will do what only you can do. God, if we could have fixed ourselves, we would have fixed ourselves long ago. We would have done it a long time ago, but we just keep connecting to the wrong source and we just end up feeling guilty and shameful and inadequate and the enemy just walks all over that because we've stepped over a threshold. So God, this morning, I want to give you all. I want to give you back my heart. You can put me back together, and I want it clear this morning that I won't run from you anymore. I've decided not to turn back. I'll give you my all. This morning, I give you my hands, or this afternoon, I give you my hands that tend to grab for the wrong things at times. And I give you my mind that wanders into dark places right now I give you my sexuality that tends to be promiscuous and adventurous and this morning God I give you my identity I am who you say I am and we don't concur with the words of the Israelites of old we are not able 
we say we can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. So Father, I pray to seal your word. Pray that as people leave this room right now that the enemy will not be allowed to steal away the good seed. But God, that you will just plant and implant into every mind and every heart what you're saying and what you're doing. God, we love you. We exalt you. And in this present time and moment, we live for you. God, we think of things that have happened in our lives. There are some things in this room this morning. I know that if you were writing the book of your life, you would leave that chapter out. I know that. I know that discouragement and even depression can run in and that. I know that sometimes we can say, well, look, what if I hadn't have done that? Or what if I hadn't have gone there? Or what if I hadn't have... On and on we go. But you are where you are. And God knows exactly where you are. And so I'm praying for you this morning that God will deliver. God will bring to bear on that promise that he's given you. So God, I pray that right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. Our time's gone. The Lord bless you. I hope that um, you are blessed and I hope that you can walk into the presence and into the fullness of what God has for you. Have a great afternoon. Remember all the stuff that's happening this week and God bless you and we'll see you soon. Lord bless in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.